Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Youth Work State of Mind podcast, the podcast for anyone interested or involved with Christian youth work. Now, I would normally be joined by Ben, the Diocesan Youth Advisor for Blackburn Diocese, and we would engage in some sort of awkward banter to start off with, but he isn't here today because he thought it better to move house. So um, we, we pray that everything goes well. And uh, hello, Ben, when you listen to this. And uh, I'm sure you'll join us again soon. But even though Ben isn't here, I am far from alone because every week we have some guests on to talk about different aspects of youth ministry and uh, have a bit of fun along the way. And today we're going to be delving into the topic of discipleship. So we have three fantastic people joining me to talk about this. So let's introduce ourselves. Please tell me your name, who you work for, what you do, and which is the best way to hang toilet paper. Is it flap on the front or flap on the back? My name is Rachel Gardner, and I've I've never actually said before, I'm Rachel Elizabeth Gardner, but I just saw the way that you built up the name, Dave. I had to give my middle name as well. So Rachel (laughs) Elizabeth Gardner. And I'm a volunteer youth worker at Preston Minster, and I'm on the national team um, at Youthscape, which is a national youth organisation. I'm also president of the Girls' Brigade England and Wales. And I'm not going to properly answer your question because I, I'm going to reject flap on the front and flap underneath. I'm going to do what my three-year-old does, take all the toilet roll paper off the roll, <laughs> screw it up and put it on the top of the loo. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's an interesting um, approach to it. Let's let's see if that uh, that trend carries on. My name is LJ. If you want to know what that properly stands for, it's Lee James. So it's LJ Warren, Lee James Warren. Um, I'm the Children's Youth and Families Coordinator for St Cuthbert's in Preston. And in terms of the the toilet situation, uh, I would say it's easier if if the flaps at the front to pull it. Um, but likewise, in in our house. Uh, our toilet roll generally just sits on top of the toilet because of the kids. So, yeah, which is, it's also handy. And in the spirit of full disclosure, my name's David Anthony Picking, <laughs> following, following Rachel Steer. <laughs> and uh, it's always an interesting question. I'm the Archdeacon of Lancaster, and I also chair the Board of Education in the Diocese. Interesting question, who do I work for? But I'm going to go for the Bishop of Blackburn, because that's kind of the nearest thing I've got <laughs> to a formal boss, other than, of course, the good Lord. Um, so, um, yes. Yeah. So work closely, of course, with Bishop Julie and the other bishops and Archdeacon Mark. Um, yeah, as far as the loo roll goes, uh, yeah, I suppose just because Kathy, my wife, might actually get to see this, then of course I always put it in a nice orderly way with the flat going through. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So no or, flap in the back. I'm a or Dave, I'm a bloke, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whichever way it goes on, it goes on, right? I, I spoke to somebody in the office about this uh, earlier on today to see what what the general consensus was and they said if it's at the back they actively change it to make it the front because they just can't handle it otherwise so um I mean, extreme that one isn't it <laughs> oh, yeah. So we start this episode with Bible characters as the feature where we start with a category and then suggest 
characters from the Bible, or maybe if we're brave enough, even famous Christians um, who would fit into that category as different things. So today we are suggesting Bible characters as items of confectionery. Who would like to jump in first with their suggestions? I've got Paul as a, a Snickers bar. And the reason being is that in a Snickers, it's smooth, it's got, it, but then it's got like rough edges to it because of the nuts. Uh, there's a sweetness to it. And so sort of Paul's walk with God was kind of all those things. Um, he got persecuted to so its rough times. He had plain sailing bit where he teaches. He obviously had the sweetness of knowing God. So yeah, I call Paul as a Snickers bar. Oh, I like it. That is a strong start. Really high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. Oh, my, my other thoughts going downhill. <laughs> I've researched this in detail, so I've got a picture of one of them. Okay, so um, so there you go. Whisper bar. And that's obviously the prophet Elijah, because he heard the still small voice of God whispering into his ear. And it, we all know how important it is in our walk with God that we listen to that still small voice. Nice. Ooh, that's, that is beautiful. So I'm going to bring a female into the mix. I'm going to go for Esther. I'm going to go for Fountain Sherbet. And, I'm, and I have to say, I've given it 0.00% of time thinking about it. <laughs> I'm going to go for a fountain sherbet because I think what I love about the fountain sherbet is you've got that little stick and that little jelly on the end that's quite hard. Like it knows what it's about, but it's kind of all the packaging around it is this sweet, amazing, but actually it's there's a kind of focus zing about this. Um, I don't think that's a theological term, but I'm going to go for <laughs> a fountain sherbet for Esther. <laughs> start that as a theological term. That would be quite an achievement, I think, for, uh, for the podcast. It would be good. <laughs> I, I thought of, uh, you know, the criminals at the side of Jesus. I thought one could be like summed up as like a bounty chocolate bar, like the coconut one, yeah. because yeah. I love the advert for that. I don't know whether it's still the same, but it used to say a taste of paradise. And so I was like, ah, Jesus said to one, today you'll be in paradise. I was like, oh, boom, that's a perfect fit for the, for the one of them. Um, so I just Have thought, you written a whole resource around this, LJ? You're I, about to release, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's working up his material in front of us. <laughs> but then I, th I thought, what chocolate? This could be controversial, but I was like, what chocolate do I not really like? And to be honest, I can't stand dark chocolate. Like, <gasps> I, think it, I think it just just tastes just what? not um, So I thought the other criminal could be like a dark chocolate bar because the taste of it is just like, for me, so... so bitter. bitter. Yeah. So I just thought yeah. that, that could be like the other criminal. Mm. Oh, I like it. There's so, um, how about Deborah as a lion bar? So, she was pretty fierce, wasn't she? And yeah. uh, went into battle when Barack and the others wouldn't follow. And, and I just, I, I think we're going to give David Pickett the final say because you will, you will pull it back in after the next one I'm about to land. So, I'm about to drop a bomb, David. You're, you're David Pickett. You're about to bring it back in. So, we've got to do the naked bars for Adam and Eve, haven't we? <laughs> we have to. <laughs> And, I, and I've got to pull that. Well, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll cheat because I was doing another recording yesterday. So some people will have will already hear this. But, you know, hey, we can live with that, can't we? And I was asked yeah. to talk about I, I was actually asked to bring not not confectionery, but something really pleasant. So I love bread and butter pudding. And I know it's a bit Marmite, if I may use that phrase, but I love bread and butter pudding. And so I, I said, 
when I hear of bread and butter pudding, it makes me think of, of, of um, Barnabas because he's the son of encouragement. And if you want to really encourage me and bless me, send oh. me a bread and butter pudding. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm looking That's for him coming flooding in now. <laughs> <laughs> So we've reached the part of the podcast where we delve into this week's main topic, which is discipleship with young people. So to kind of help frame our thoughts on being a disciple of Jesus, how would you describe discipleship? What is it? What does it entail? Whom is it for? And what does it look like in daily life? Wow. <laughs> That's a lot in it when you think about it. <clears throat> I think it's a day, well, it's a daily thing. It's for everybody and it looks different for everybody at the same time, I would say. It's forming Christ-likeness in somebody, isn't it? And, and I think um, the goal of discipleship is not conversion. It's, it's baptism. It's, it's what you're saying, LJ. It's daily dying to self um, and, and what, that, what that looks like. It's the most exciting call, isn't it? The call of discipleship, but it is the most costly, most costly thing. Mm. Yeah, and I think when you think back to, to those biblical encounters where people, you know, both Jesus says it and others say, of oh, Jesus, you know, come and see, because it's obviously linked with following Jesus. It's that having in you that desire planted by the Spirit that you just want to be more like this extraordinarily attractive human being that you're, you've seen, but also whom you have come to know as the son of God. So it's, it's and, and as you say, it's wanting to be more like that, because why wouldn't you? It's also walking with people and allowing them to see our journey, not just sort of saying, hey, look at me, I'm all good. I've got look, my life's all dunky-dory, but having that vulnerability to say, actually, I mess up. I did this or this is this is how I struggle. And it, so it's not just showing one side of it. It's, it's the ability to be able to, in the right way, share our own struggles or failures. And obviously that that depends on on the setting and where we're at and who we're with and how far we've known people and things. No, that's really helpful because practically everybody's story involves at some point somebody who was really important to them in helping them see that. Um, and as you say, very often, hardly hardly because they were perfect, but because you just saw something in them that had made a difference. When when you're with somebody, you you can tell like there's something special about them, and you're like, "Whoa, what is that?" And then you just have those conversations, and you can learn from people. So I can think of uh, some of my lecturers from from uni over the past six years or so, and there's there's one or two, one or two of them which you just like. I've just got to sit and just learn from these and take it on board because they just ooze Jesus. And I think ultimately the end goal of discipleship is, is to be able to just ooze Jesus so then that it brings other people to, to find out and go, what is it about this person that's so special or different? And, and, and for them to encounter Jesus himself, I think that's part of it as well, I reckon. What are the key things that youth leaders need to keep in mind when approaching discipling young people specifically? And does that differ from, say, discipling um, someone who's older? I think terminology is quite important. I, I don't want to split hairs here and others might disagree, but I think there's actually quite significant differences between the goal of youth work 
and the goal of youth ministry. So the goal of, if I'm doing youth work, my goal is to help this young person in front of me really participate in their life and explore and reach their full potential. But the goal of me, if I'm in a youth ministry setting, if the young person I'm working with um, is exploring their Christian faith identity, if they're choosing to follow Jesus, and, and actually my goal is not simply that they reach their potential, although that is part of what I do. My goal is that I help them explore what it means to become more like Jesus. I won't be expecting that of a young person in a drop-in club if they've just rocked up to play a bit of Xbox. <laughs> although I'll invite them on that journey, but my goal in that conversation isn't about that. But, it, but for a young person that is seeking me out, who is consenting to this, and I think, I think that's really quite important. I think sometimes as, as church-based youth workers, we can find it sometimes we, we forget those differences and we forget that every young person's on a journey and actually a conversation that might be right for this young person might might not be right for this young person not because there's different truths but because they're on a different part of this journey so I think sometimes it helps just to identify where is this young person at what are the kinds of conversations I'm having with them where can I be encouraging them to grow a bit more that could be quite helpful I think I'd, I'd say that's that's spot on and it's quite it's very good um reminder and encouragement actually to think actually yeah there's space for if you will doing the fun stuff but there's space for doing the more serious and god input stuff and for some of them or for some young people they might fall directly into one category but but then likewise by doing the fun stuff and just being ourselves with them and helping them that in turn then links to them thinking why, why, why are you doing this um which then in turns gradually moves them across to I guess to the youthy ministry side of things so that was very useful and helpful so thank you for that <laughs> little bit of knowledge. The other thing that I find quite interesting at the moment with the young people that I'm serving is that even those that would say they have a Christian faith identity will ring me up one day and say I don't think I believe today um, and, and and partly the challenge with lockdown we've had such a long time of this is that for young people particularly they often behave their way into belief so it's as they as they do the practices of Jesus that they believe. So they, they wake up one morning and think, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I feel it today. But as they do the practice of prayer or reading the Bible or telling their friend about Jesus, they kind of experience, oh, I, I do believe this. Like God does answer my prayer. So I think it's, it's really, I, I find it helpful for me as a practitioner to identify the different conversations but also think, how, how can I help this young person be behave their way into belief, um, even if at the moment they're far from belief? <laughs> but what, what, you know, what can I do with them that just agitates that a bit? It's, it's quite an interesting question, isn't it? I think you make a really important point there. And also that thing about, which, of course, is so tricky at the moment, but it's tricky for all of us, you know, to what extent do we belong in a church fellowship at the moment, which is, of course, a fundamental part of discipleship, uh, you know, because we help form one another in all sorts of ways through our relationships. And so, you know, God love them. I mean, the, those young folks at the moment are going to are going to really struggle with that. So I'm not surprised you're having those conversations. But also, you know, what it allows for and what you said, Rachel, is, is the difference between somebody who's feeling their way towards making that commitment and actually somebody who feels they can do so. And for all of us at some point in our lives, we've probably been on that kind of 
um, that spectrum where we've been between those things. And I think just so important that you make that distinction. I've been thinking quite a bit recently about how culture, including cultural experiences like lockdown, Black Lives Matter, you know, the stuff that's been happening in, in the White House in America recently, how all of these narratives shape a young person's identity. And I've been thinking about how our role as disciple makers is often to, this is going to sound a bit extreme, it doesn't involve a hoover, but sucking out, sucking out the darkness. It's not, it, it's, I don't mean exorcism, but I mean that kind of sense of helping young people recognise how the culture around them is discipling them, how it is forming identity within them. And, and, and so part of our role is helping young people see those narratives, those ideas that then mean that when they come to following Jesus, there's there's often a clash of worldviews, isn't there? You, you, I mean, LJ, you and I have talked about this quite a bit in terms of young people and sex and identity, haven't we? But just you, you just see this wrestle in them of, well, what's going to win? <laughs> what idea about who I am and how I live? And I think that's one of the exciting things about youth discipleship is that young people are really prepared to have that battle in a way that sometimes adults in churches are really good at putting up the veneer. <laughs> <laughs> and pretending they're not fighting this whereas teenagers are quite good at saying ah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> and that's quite dynamic really for us i think yeah I've, i find it's it's uh amazing when you when you get uh young people to to start talking they, generally they're a bit like adults to start with they might be quite polite but as soon as you strike a chord on on something to do with culture or uh stuff that's happening Oh my word! Did the did the floodgates open? And you you just yeah you're just like well where on earth do we start with with that? And but sometimes it's just the case of allowing them just to get it out. Yeah. And then once they've got it out, they either feel better or then you can start to have the conversation to say right well so what do you think about it? and explore it right what well, what does the Bible what does Jesus say about this and and then that in turn just allows yeah just so much more fruitfulness from it because they've opened the gates where as you say, adults, sometimes you could sit in churches or, or, or even on your own or whatnot, and you don't approach a topic or you don't bring it up because you think, well, I'm going to get everybody else saying one thing and, and that'll be it. And I have to agree with that. Where With young people, generally, they kind of already know where their mind's at, but then they're a bit more open to be able to discuss it and understand, all right, th this is... This is uh, a cultural thing how how does and where do i fit into that where does christianity where does following jesus how would jesus have dealt with this sort of thing um so yeah it's it's massive um so i think creating that space for them to do that is is a is a huge thing and um very beneficial as well we live in a culture <clears throat> that kind of gives the lie that the only people who can disciple other people are those that look most like them who have had the closest life experience to them and I think the wonderful beauty of the body of Christ is that that's not who we are. We hopefully look very different to each other and have very different life experiences. And that's one of our greatest strengths. And teenagers that spend all their time online and in peer networks of a very closely tight monoculture are just, you know, they're just desperate to break out of that. And church can, can do that. And I think it is our holiness that makes us relevant. It's not it's not whether we think we are culturally engaged or not. It's It's the fact that we are as you were saying at the beginning, we are willing to do the costly work of becoming more like Jesus and, and being honest about our failings and flaws and yet being passionate about living lives worthy of the gospel that makes young people go, oh, 
Oh, oh, I'm, you know, and I, I've seen even at the Minster, some of our best youth volunteers are really elderly, <laughs> you know, at least my age, if not a bit more. And, and throughout, throughout my experience as a youth worker, some of the best disciple makers don't really understand much about youth culture, but they really love and they really live it. They really live this stuff. Um, and I think that's, that is the great power of the church in discipling young people, I think, is that we're very, very different. There was a, a study done by the Church of England returns information and there's a PDF available online for you to look at. Um, we will link to it in the show notes so that you can have a look at it as well. But it had some stark figures in there. Um, one of them was 36% of churches have no zero to 16 year olds and 66% of them have five or fewer zero to 16 year olds actively engaged in church on a Sunday. Now I know that Sunday is not everything. We will make that clear in, in this podcast in another episode. Sunday isn't everything. It's, a, it's about the whole week, but even the numbers, including all of the midweek activities are going down. Is there something wrong with how the church has approached trying to disciple young people over the years or is this just a society trend society trend is it a mixture of both? i think it's all fine dave harris it's all, fine. <laughs> <laughs> all three of us are like yeah there's a problem <laughs> <laughs> what's the problem uh, a bunch of stuff. Um, one of my, I mean, when we're thinking about children's ministry in particular, but it applies to young people's ministry. The, a, a, I often talk about this. A very wise man once said, place a child in the centre of the church and you change the church. And actually, that's what I want to see. Um, you know, and, and I, that child could be a young person. I'm, you know, you appreciate the point that he's making. It's actually... Uh, you know, he, uh, this afternoon, I'm going to be in one of those meetings when we're going to talk about the way in which church buildings are ordered and shaped and changed. And we always get really pleased when a church says, can we take out some furniture so we can create a corner for the children? Now, that's great. But actually, metaphorically and spiritually, what I want to see is a big, a big shape in the middle of the church um where where they are you know now i know that's not often practical but you understand the point the point is children's corners are a brilliant step in the right direction because you're actually making space for but actually it's having at the heart of what we do that desire to actually see the change that we need to be and accompanying our churches to be bold enough confident enough and prayerful enough to do that there's some fantastic stories out there like you know, a group of ladies um, in another part of the country who were the last few fairly elderly members of a congregation down in Cornwall. And they got together and they prayed and they'd seen these young folks turning up to do surfing down there. And they just thought, we've got to give those folks our church. Well, you may know a bit about that church now without talking about it in great detail, but look at what happened as a consequence of that. So, you know, creating that appropriate space wouldn't be a bad starting point. And that would be my key principle to start with. I think that, like you said, there are many, many reasons and we could spend all day, um, you know, identifying the problems. But I, I think like you, I'm, I'm interested in prophetic imagination of what happens next. But I think it's absolutely worth saying we, we are in a culture that absolutely, ultimately negates God. 
And so increasingly, there is no such thing as nominalism when it comes to Christianity. Any, any, if anybody in your church, if you have anyone in your congregation under the age of 40, and, and I think it is up here as well, it was definitely in London, I think I see it in the Northwest as well. If anybody in your church is under the age of 40, they're not there because of nominalism. They're there because they've chosen to be there. There could be a billion other things they're doing and they are actively choosing Jesus. And I think it means that we can't expect anymore that people will just come to church because it's what their families have done or it's what their communities have done. Those pipelines, those pathways into church just don't exist anymore. We've got to stop pretending they do. But it doesn't mean that, that we can't lay really exciting new pathways to see many people access church because the beauty is that church and Christianity is a deep mystery. So at Preston Minster, when I'm on the welcome team, I don't stand at the front door. I don't stand at the bottom of the steps. I stand opposite the church outside the pub and I chat to everybody coming in at the pub. Do you want to go and get a coffee? Do you want to come and check out our building? Come and have a little look. And the number of 20-somethings that will say to me, not, not a single person has ever said, don't ask me. Some have said, no, I'm a bit busy. The vast majority say, oh, Am I allowed to go in? I didn't know I was allowed to go in. These are 20-somethings in Preston who didn't know they are allowed to go into a church service because our buildings look closed all the time. We look like this kind of little kind of closed culture. So I think we just need to, as you said, rightly so, Archdeacon, get bolder with the beautiful gospel that we have and the community that we have. And, and I think that maybe Love Your Neighbour and all the projects we've done during lockdown around food banks has maybe sparked a little bit of our confidence that we, we do love people really well and people do love being loved by the church. You know, they love it. So I think that's another sort of aspect of this diamond that we need to look at. And I think if I could just chip in as well, because I'll get into trouble if I don't say this, of course, you know, our schools, what an incredible, um, mosaic and gift to the the nation that we have and not just church schools but obviously that's our perspective but those wonderful places that we've got with such incredible people serving them um, that are fantastic places for just starting to get across this message that you are you are special you are distinctive you are different you, you know we we value you um and um, and and you seeing that opportunity of having wonderful relationships there, that uh, you know when you walk into a school that started to get that right, you know you're in a wonderful Christian community. Um, it, it it's it's tangible. Um, so you know, let's you know let let's uh, let's acknowledge the gift that we have there um, to our nation and of course in our context to our county. I've been a schools worker for over 20 years. And the thing that boils my blood the most is when I hear a vicar say, or oh, people only come to our church to get their kids into the local school. And I say to them, what? And you don't welcome them? And you don't embrace them? And you don't want to get to know them? And you don't want to connect with them? And I think you're absolutely right, David. There does need to be a shift in attitude, I think, with both in terms of that kind of, you know, the kind of, getting into a school, which I appreciate in some, for some because in some areas next to a cool school, that's frustrating. But actually celebrate just the wonderful communities on our doorsteps and celebrate these amazing staff that are in there relentlessly. I'm, I'm part of a prayer group for a high school locally that meets twice a week. These are teachers praying for their school twice a week. Um, I just think it's extraordinary commitment, isn't it? There's often a pressure within churches to 
retain things. So something something comes along that's good. Let's keep this. Let's keep this. Let's keep this. And we see that with young people, the young people who grow up in the church or who, who do who do find their way into a church building. That isn't working. How can the church be reframing their approach to enable young people to continue to explore and take ownership of their own faith and, and kind of move away from that? I might have took a right controversial thing in right at the right at the start, so I do apologize. We don't shy away from controversy here. But <laughs> it's something that's always, always been in my heart and in my my brain and thinking. And this is from when I was a young person. I struggled with church, so I brought up in a Church of England church. It was like a high church, so waving the scent and carrying a candle on a stick and everything like that. And I then became one of them that I think they call them acolytes and servers and stuff. And there was a time I can remember, right? I was really, I would have said on fire for God. And and when I look back at it, fond fond memories and and to think, wow, there was something special about that. And then, as we've said about cultures and stuff and pressures, I kind of drifted from 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 church. And my godmum, she she kind of encouraged me to come along and to try her church out because she she knew how important faith was. And in between that, I remember the church that I was at was going through this stage of they were, they, were, they were wanting young people to come. And there was a couple of us, maximum handful of young people at the church. And they asked us to go away on the church day with them to talk and to plan for the future. And I remember I had just broke down because nobody was listening because the, the congregation was stuck in their ways and they just wanted to, effectively, they wanted something new but it was kind of like the the same thing, just recapped in a, in a new building. The people that were there, 30 out of them, there was only one that came out to me and said, it's okay, we're here, we're, we understand. And you tell me what it is so I can relay it to those. And from that, it just made me think, crikey, what, what's this all about? And then later on, it then led me to this thing of, right, well, rather than just trying to keep, if, if people don't want to change and the church don't want to change or isn't open to change, we have to be able to release people. We have to be able to release young people. And I can remember um, in, a, in a previous work for church, they, it was a couple of young people, and they, I could really see on Sundays, they, they were just struggling, right? So I chatted to them after the service, said, what, what's, what, what's the matter? And they said, well, my friends asked me to go to their church. And I was like, right. And the problem is, <laughs> and they're like, well, well, I've got to come here, like my family, and you lot expect me to come. And then this is the controversial bit. I turned around and said, if you want to go there and you feel God is God is connect you he's speaking to you and you are connecting with God there, with my blessing, go to that church, right? Which sounds really controversial and effectively could kind of do me out of a job, couldn't it? So if all my <laughs> no, we're getting then it looks either like I'm doing a really bad thing or something's happening down there. But I was like, rather than trying to retain let's let's also think are we at a point where we where we are equippers we are empowering and then there comes a point where in order for them to flourish even more and to have a greater impact we need to be able to release them and so i think we've got to think about that as well as what can we retain how do we feel and how does it sit with us to be able to say right with our blessing you 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 are free to effectively go and for those which i spoke to and did that my word they absolutely soared when they when they moved and and what they the foundations which were built just got 
built and built upon. And I think we've got to remember that as well. The brilliant thing about children and young people is they are a daily reminder to us that a retaining model just does not work. It doesn't work. My daughter is nine and she does a weekly gymnastics club. And the the gymnastics club don't think to themselves, how can we retain nine-year-old girls? What can we do to make sure? What they do is they say, what does a nine-year-old girl want to do? She wants to get better at gymnastics. She wants to do like classes and quizzes she wants to progress through so that when she's 18 she's now like a leader when she's 16 she's now a leader and I'm not saying that we give young people like wow you're an even better Christian this year badges but actually we the model is Jesus never went for a retaining model how do I keep hold of the 12 disciples no Jesus like how do I flip and push them out the boat how do I unleash them and so I think this is where there is always Well, not always. This is where there's often a strategic tension between a youth worker and a volunteer and a team, a children's worker, and maybe a PCC or a larger group. Because understandably, churches want children and young people in their church. Of course they do. They love them. Um, But that's not enough, is it? We want them to grow, to find their, their place. They've got a voice. They've got a place. So our model can only be train and release, train and release train and release and so that will look dangerous it will look like things like having a 12 year old preach on a Sunday morning and during the week they've had somebody with them mentoring them and listening to to God with them and studying scripture but it's not just here's a pre-written prayer that 11 year old can say no let's actually hear how an 11 year old is hearing from God so what we do is like in our old church once a month we would have um I can't think what we called it um Oh, you'll think of the way I do it. And so once a month, young people aged 10 upwards could join any team in the church, the sound desk, the worship team, the preaching team, the cafe team, the children's team. And they were coached. And so over time, we had all 13 year olds on the sound desk. We had an 11 year old preaching and it was absolutely extraordinary. Apprentice Sunday, that's what we called it. Apprentice Sunday. The adults loved it because the adults don't often see themselves as youth workers but they really love teaching a person how to make a great cup of coffee or how to be on the welcome desk or how to get the sound stuff going. So I think the more that we can sort of fudge these lines and be intergenerational, the better, the better for all of us. And the adults grow to a church where young people are being trained and released. They have adults that are being trained and released and adults benefit from that as well, don't they? Absolutely. Well, and we just know, I mean, obviously we're talking about discipleship. We know that a key facet of our walk with God is giving ourselves away. It's not just about, so there's a clue there, isn't there? That's, as as we've all been saying, it's so evident that a church, just like an individual Christian, the body has to give itself away to bless other other churches, other, other communities, transforming our communities, as we say in the diocese. A healthy church will transform it will just do it. I think the other elephant in the room is that sometimes as churches, we get a, a youth work volunteer or a paid worker and we think they'll do it all. We want them to be an evangelist and a disciple maker and a pastoral care worker and a great Bible teacher and lead a bit of worship and have young around their home all the time and lead on the safeguarding. Do you see what I mean? And actually we, we wouldn't expect that from anybody else in a church set up. And yet we expect the youth worker be able to do the outside in inside out building up and and i think it's really important as churches that we as well as saying we want to grow young people to get quite specific about 
what would that strategy look like? Are we mainly focusing on helping the young people in the church bring their friends in? Because that will look very different to having our whole focus being outreach. And of course, we'll do a little bit of everything. But I think the danger is that we sort of hold really big youth ministries up against smaller youth ministries and say, well, that one's better than that one. <laughs> Rather than saying, well, are they achieving what they've set out to achieve? Because you can have a massive youth ministry that's not discipling young people, can't you? So I think it's really important that we break it down even further, I think, in, in what we're seeking to do. And, that, and I find that quite liberating as a youth worker. So we're nearing the end of our podcast, but before we go, we have our weekly challenge feature for our guests to take part in that we have every single week called Theology in 60 Seconds. The rules are very simple. Each guest has 60 seconds to explain an aspect of the Christian faith or a Christianese term because we really love our long special words, don't we, as Christians and our special phrases uh, that no one ever understands. But they have to do it in only 60 seconds. And to help them along the way, we have a ticking timer playing along in the background just to ramp up the pressure. Now, normally Ben would be on hand to judge each one based on sticking to the time and how well uh, each of our guests explain the term. But it's going to have to be me this time around because... He's not here. So um, this week, we would like our guests to explain the term being in Christ. So a big one, one that the Apostle Paul loves saying, but what does being in Christ mean? Who would like to go first? LJ. <laughs> L, so we have to say, before we started recording this podcast, we were talking about the different different elements that were coming up. And then LJ told us that he has like four pages of notes or something. I, I didn't tell you. I got dubbed in. I got well, he showed them. He held, held them all up. And it was yeah. like, a, like a university essay. It was quite impressive. So um, LJ is going to go first. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling the pressure to get this, uh, what I've prepared in under 60 seconds. I'm sure whatever it is that you've prepared will be fantastic. Um, so your time, your 60 seconds uh, starts in three, two, one, go. Being in Christ means being a fully committed follower of Jesus, not just a fan of his. Being a follower means that we're fully in, that God is a 24-7, 365 days of the year for, thing for us. Uh, being in Christ means that following that we follow him, we trust in him no matter what, because he will never uh, give up on us. So being a follower is like being on fire for Jesus, whereby being a fan is uh, we kind of just do God on a Sunday and that's it. And whether we identify as being a fan or a follower, if we're a Christian, then of course we're in Christ because we are made new in and through what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's important for us to remember that Christ is not only with us, but the most important thing is in us through the Holy Spirit. And when we become Christians, we become brothers and sisters through our faith in him. And it, and it is massively important that we remember that we're children of God, that we're his sons and daughters uh, through Christ. So we have a choice. We can either be a fan like lukewarm or a follower someone who is fully committed to Jesus because uh, being in Christ is a daily thing and being a Christian is a daily thing. Nice. Ooh, Mike. Okay. That was amazing. <laughs> really good. 
I had to cut it short then. I had a quote from Billy Graham, but I thought, let's get rid of that. <laughs> you set the bar high. You set the bar really high. I'll give it a go, and it's going to be nothing as good as that. It's gonna... <laughs> are you ready? Uh, are you ready? Yes. Cool. Right. Your time starts in three, two, one, go. In one of the Sundays before Christmas, the donkey that was supposed to rock up to Preston didn't rock up. And we found a costume, a donkey costume in the vestry. So I put on the donkey costume. I was stood outside the front of Preston in donkey. People related to me as a donkey, but the donkey was not in me. It didn't change my identity. The thing about being in Christ is that I come to Jesus to be defined and not only to define who I am, but who is in me. Christ is in me. So imagine a bit of paper put inside the pages of the book and you shut the book. When I said yes to Jesus, I said yes to being defined by him, to living my life for him, to allowing people to see Jesus in me and to knowing that every single moment of my life, I was going to grow to become more like Jesus. There we wow. go. I've still got some time. Wow. Still got a bit of time there. Bring the theology. There Bring it the is. <laughs> <laughs> well done. It was good. <laughs> didn't quite get the no, time but it was all right <laughs> i love the analogy of, of, of donkey when you started that i was like wow where's that going yeah. was very very good very goodly brought back that very good <laughs> <laughs> just leaves archdeacon david Pickin. are you ready i am have you ever felt the pressure like this in in all your years in in church <laughs> ministry oh, no no <laughs> <laughs> Okay, your time starts uh, in three, two, one, go. So let's be clear, first of all, it's being in Christ, not doing in Christ. And one of the things that's a great danger when you become a Christian is people start telling you all the things you're supposed to start doing. Uh, and actually, as we've already heard, this is about allowing Jesus to be formed in you. And allowing yourself, just inviting you to say, this is who I am, I'm me, but I want to be more for you. And so um, just allowing that process to happen and, and allowing ourselves to be changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit and by God's grace. And I think that's done in so many ways, but it is done by being with other Christians, by reading our Bibles, by getting to know one another, by saying to God at the beginning of every day, receive me shape me help me be who i'm supposed to be and knowing jesus through receiving holy communion on a regular basis where he comes present to us in a real way wow wow very good <laughs> hit the time as well yeah incredible yeah. disappointing anyway. lack of donkeys but <laughs> hey, can i just say you do really good donkey that was brilliant <laughs> <laughs> Well, what a, what a compliment. What a way to end. <laughs> well, I have, I do not envy Ben's job normally. And uh, specifically now that I, I know what it's like to try and make a decision on this. Um, oh, <laughs> I think just for the amount of space covered uh, in LJ's yeah. and the uh, excellent preparation. I think the wing goes to yeah. LJ for this. Yeah, week. absolutely. Yeah. And the, the editing on the spot. Well done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah.
Beautiful yeah. day. I'll wear that, that badge with pride today. <laughs> <laughs> like a gold star in it. <laughs> Can I say, Dave Harris, that I think I speak for the entire youth ministry community when I say you did an awesome job without Ben Green. So, ah, thank you. Know, you. Do, yeah. do you need him, really, is what I'm asking. <laughs> 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 we love you, Ben! <laughs> <laughs> That's all we have time for in this episode. So a big thank you to our guests, Rachel, LJ, and Archdeacon David. You can find out more about them and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode in our show notes, which can be downloaded from the resources area of our website, bdeducation.org.uk. And whilst you're there, you can discover all of the fantastic youth resources that we have to offer. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your device so you can keep up to date with all of our episodes and we'd love to hear what you think of the show. So please do rate and review it in the Apple Store or get in touch with us on Instagram at YouthWorkStateOfMind. That's all for this episode. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the YouthWork State of Mind podcast. It was a Blackburn Diocese Board of Education production. It was produced by Ben Green and David Harris with music from Purple Planet. You can listen to more of their music at purple-planet.com. Special thanks to Rachel Gardner, LJ Warren and Archdeacon of Lancaster, David Pickin, for joining us on this episode. For more episodes, show notes and excellent YouthWork resources, visit our website, bdeducation.org.uk and make sure you follow us on Instagram at YouthWork State of Mind to be kept up to date with YouthWork where you are.